We're going to be in the book of James in chapter 1. James chapter 1, <clears throat> when you found your place there, I invite you to stand. Verses 17 and 18, I want to tell you um, kind of the context of the book of James. So James, we know, was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they had the same mother, but they had a different daddy, you know what I mean? And so <clears throat> James would have been the eldest of his half-brothers. He wasn't older than the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was the second oldest in the family. And so James grew up with Christ. Can you imagine? being the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, where your brother does everything perfect. He never gets in trouble. Um, he's always well-mannered. His parents love him. Never had a spanking, you know, never had time out to our knowledge. None of those things. And James probably kind of felt like the runt of the family, having compared himself to Jesus. And we know this, that James didn't always believe that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. In fact, James, it took him a little while to get there. He had to uh, go through some things and come to an understanding that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. He was who he claimed to be. Even though he saw the miracles, he heard the teaching, he saw him up close and personal. James still had to have proof to the pudding. And so uh, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, uh, he made one more attempt to go to his brother. James, and he made an appearance. And it's as if, to, it's as if Jesus said, James, I'm going to give you one last chance here. Um, do you believe these things are so? Do you believe this is true? Do you believe I'm the Son of God? And we know that James was converted because in verse 1 he says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord of Jesus Christ. Notice he said, I'm a servant. He could have said, I'm the brother, so listen to me, right? Jesus is my brother, and so I'm a little bit more superior, but that's not where James is coming from. He's coming from a humble perspective. He's coming from a humble position saying, I'm just a servant. And I tell you, church, it'd do us well to never forget that we're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says it's to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. So he's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel who at that time would have been scattered. They would have been struggling. These are people who are under intense persecution. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their family. Um, they're losing their well-being all because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those who are Jewish were raised in Jewish orthodoxy and they were taught um, that a greater one than he was going to come. And, and they had all these traditions and all these rituals. And so these, these people who are raised in Jewish orthodoxy go back to their family and they say, I've discovered who the Christ is. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. And they go, I'm sorry, what? What did you say? And so these families would ostracize their own family because of their faith in Christ. And they're scattered. They're struggling. They're all abroad. And James is talking about how to handle the hard stuff here in chapter 1. I wonder tonight. <laughs> in fact, I, I probably, it's probably safe to assume that all of us have faced something difficult in the last 24 hours whether great or small, some of us to different degrees. We've all faced difficult things in our lives. Some of us have faced really, really difficult things in our lives. And God has brought us through those. And, and I think we can find some comfort here tonight that when you go through a storm, when you go through a trial, when you go through a misfortune or, or a hard, difficult situation, we have some anchors in the storm. Just like if you're out on sea and you're a sailor on a boat, you can drop that anchor and you can know everything's okay. I'm planted. I'm staying right here. And so here's our anchors for the storm. Verse 17, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So tonight some anchors 
for the storm. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are an anchor in the storm. Thank you that you never leave us, you never fail us. God, I'm thankful that you're for us, you're not against us, and that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your word tonight. I ask your blessing upon it. I ask that you give me um, stillness in my heart and in my mind, and I pray that these thoughts could just be a help and a blessing to somebody tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I need to grab my water here. It's been a long time since I've gotten to lead music and preach in the same service, and my mouth's a little dry. Um, but I'm excited. This is fun, I think. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> it's been fun up to this point, okay? Okay, so James is talking to some Christians who understand they're new in their faith. Um, this is also new to them. And maybe they had this preconceived idea that, okay, I've given my life to Christ. Things are going to get better now. You ever been there before? Or I'm serving Christ. I'm really trying to live for Christ. I'm, I'm living in surrender. I'm living from a posture of, God, take my life. It's yours. I give it over to you. And so things are going to get better, right? And that's not what happened to these people. And, and James is telling them, hey, it's, you're going to go through some growing pains. As you go through this journey in your Christian walk, there's going to be some hardships, there's going to be some trials, and understand that the purpose of those trials aren't because we serve a mean God, aren't because of necessarily sin in your life, perhaps. Life is just unfair. Life just has a way of throwing hard things at us, and James says, you know, I, I find it interesting that he starts off his letter, this dissertation, with, okay, now you're saved, number one, let's learn how to handle the hard things. Because it doesn't necessarily just get better, humanistically speaking, from here. Now, spiritually, we have it all in Christ, and we need to remember that. But humanistically, we can think, man, I, this is a challenge. Katie and I have been blessed to have several children now. I asked her, on the way, I ask her all the time, do you want to have more? Because I'm scared. And uh, you know what she told me this afternoon? I'll let you know at a later time. She said, no, I'm just kidding. She said yes. And I was like, hold on, honey. We can barely handle four. You know what I'm saying? But it's been fun to watch my kids develop. We have a five-month-old, Hazel, Hazel May. She's adorable. If you haven't seen her, we all fawn over her at the Calabrese home every single morning, afternoon, and evening. And, um, you know, Hazel is in a very dependent state right now. She can't do anything on her own. You know, you remember... You don't remember when you were a baby, but you remember having babies, maybe, or being around babies, okay? They can't do anything. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't fix their hair. They can't put their clothes on. Everything has to have help of another person, and this is kind of where these Christians were. They're kind of still in the baby stage, and it's as if James and other spiritual leaders are having to clothe them and feed them and, and help them along the way, but James is saying at some point in the Christian life, you've got to grow up. You've got to stop depending on your mommy or daddy or on your preacher or on your teacher or on so-and-so in your life who's a spiritual foundation and rock, and you need to learn what it is to be a Christian that is mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life often doesn't go the direction we expect it or we want to. And James here and these verses tonight, he's going to say there's moments where we all have an emotional or a spiritual lens through which we contextualize the circumstances of our life. Now, there's some people who you may know who contextualize most of the circumstances of their life negatively. We call those pessimists. We call those people I don't want to be around, right? Maybe that's you. 
Maybe you don't want to be around yourself, okay? You can change that. But those are the kind of people that you're just like, man, they are negative all the time. Like, they can't see the good in this world or in this life. I need to move on. And if you're married to one of them, I'm sorry, but that's a whole different sermon that Pastor Darrell can handle, right? <laughs> However, there's some people in your life that are optimistic, right? I've got a friend. He's sitting in this section. He, he likes to do a lot of projects and stuff, and the guy is super optimistic. I mean, you ask him how long a two-hour project is going to take 30 minutes, man. It's going to take 30 minutes, I promise you. In the back of my mind, I'm like, he is so optimistic, you know? And uh, those are the kind of people that we want to be around. And James is saying that's the kind of person God wants you to be when it comes to the difficult things that you go in life, to know that there, there is an end to this, and it can be good. And God is working all things for our good. So what we're getting at here is we have a way of contextualizing our trials, our hardships, our burdens through our hearts, through our minds, through our will, through our emotions. And James is saying this is the lens to put on when you're going through trials. This is how you should contextualize what's going on in your life when things are difficult. James is saying put this filter in your heart. Put this filter on your mind, your emotions. Whenever you face something that's uncertain, that creates anxiety, that creates worry, that creates fear, anything that comes to you in the way of trials, filter it through these truths. And I'm going to give you some bullet points here as we get to verses 17 and 18. In verse 3, he says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Remember that, verse 3. Verse 5 and 6, God will give you wisdom if you just simply ask him in faith, nothing wavering. And let me tell you, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, that's all of us, church. We all lack wisdom. We all need God's wisdom. He says, look, God will give it to you liberally. And guess what? He won't abrade about it. In other words, he says, look, you can ask him over and over and over again for wisdom, and he's not going to hold it against you. You ever known somebody in your life who's asked you for money over and over and over again, or something like that? You know, maybe a college roommate who asked to use your car over and over and over again, or, you know, use your study notes over and over and over again. And eventually you're like, man, like, figure it out. Like, do it yourself. Like, you know, grow up a little bit. God doesn't do that with us when it comes to when we ask him for wisdom. He never once holds it against us like, you just asked yesterday. <laughs> you should get it by now. That's not our God. We serve a good God. And he says in verse 8, he says, God will help you overcome double-mindedness and vacillation. Have you ever felt like you're just going back and forth, back and forth? Man, I, I, I'm, I'm up one day and I'm down the next. And I'm down one day and I'm up the next. God can help you overcome that. Verses 13 through 16, he says, don't blame God when you're tempted. Don't go there. Don't be led astray in your temptation to sin. And there's this process here. And so he comes to verses 17 and 18. And he says, I want you to land, church, you scattered, struggling saints of God. I want, you to, I want you to land on some anchors for your soul. These are some truths that are fixed. These are pillars. These are cornerstones. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what kind of storm may be raging, no matter what kind of things are threatening you and fearing you and overwhelming you, the things that you tie off to, you can tie off to this. When I was a young person, my parents would go camping like almost every weekend. Of course, we wouldn't miss church on Sunday, but on Friday and Saturday, we had a, a trailer that my dad would pull with his Ford F-150, and then we had, also had a couple Sea-Doo's, you know, jet skis. And I remember as a kid growing up, man, that was like a motorcycle on water. It was like a dream come true. And uh, when I was getting to the point where they thought they could trust me, uh, I could take out the jet ski by myself up at the St. Lawrence River, which divides New York from Canada, eh? And so I would take the jet ski out, and it was my job, if I took the jet ski out, 
to put it back on the dock to tie it up and make sure it was all good and secure and then it wouldn't drift off into the drift off into the river, right? Now the St. Lawrence River, it connects to the Atlantic Ocean. So there's some really big liners, like really big ships that come through that river and create huge waves. And I can remember with my sisters, I had two older sisters and they'd say, Andrew, you wanna ride on the jet ski with me when I was really little? like eight, nine years old, I'd be like, yeah, you know? And I was optimistic at that point in my life, and yeah. And so uh, they take me and they'd go on those big waves and they try to flip me off the back. I, you know, honest to God, I believe they were trying to flip me off the back, okay? It's a wonder that I'm still here. But anyways, um, I can remember doing that myself when I got the courage to go up on those waves and one day I had a really good time out on the river, just zipping around, hitting waves and different things and I come back and I thought I had tied up the jet ski, the sea dew to the dock. I thought I had, but apparently I hadn't because at dinner I hear my mom squeal, screech. I'm in the camper doing something and my dad starts yelling and I know when my dad starts yelling, it's bad, right? And uh, so he tells me, Andrew, did you tie up the sea dew when you were done? I say, yes, sir. And I was lying through my teeth because I really didn't know. And uh, he's like, well, then why is it like halfway across the river right now? And you see, I didn't tie off to anything and I was just drifting out. And trials have a way, trials have a way that if we don't tie up to something that is sure, to something that is solid, it, it has a way of causing us to drift off into a spiritual land that's not safe, it's not okay. It's very dangerous. The same kind of thing happens to us when we are in the midst of the trials and the waves. So um, four things that I wanna encourage you with tonight really quickly to tie yourself off to. When trials come, when threatenings come, when uncertainties uh, of life overwhelm you, we can hold on to these truths. And this is so elementary tonight, church. Uh, this is so simple. And uh, I was praying, asking God, like what should I preach on tonight, being asked at 3.15. And so I was like, this is where I'm at. Because in chapter one, he talks about being a forgetful hearer of the word. And I've often wondered, you know, why do we have church so much? You know, there's a lot of churches out there that just do a Saturday, Sunday thing. But why do we have Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, choir rehearsal, all afternoon in between, right? Wednesday night, stuff going on on Saturday. Why do we have church so much? I'll tell you why, because James says we're forgetful hearers. Yeah, we know these things, but we forget to internalize these things. And so tonight, it might be really simple, might be really elementary, but I want to encourage you, when you face difficult things, because the truth is, you're either going through a trial, you're headed toward a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. It's a part of life. And when you go through these things, it would do us good to remind ourselves of these truths. Number one, if you're taking notes, simply is this, God is good. When life gets hard, remember this, church. God is good. Verse 17 says this. Look there with me. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Everybody say it out loud. Above. And cometh down from who? The Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is good all the time. God is good. All good is from God. He's always working for my good. And I understand this goes against all logic at times. When you're in the midst of a storm, when you're in the midst of a trial and all you can see is the waves and all you can feel is the danger, I understand that sometimes this reality that God is good seems really hard to believe 
When you and I are getting hammered with a storm in life, the very first thing the devil wants you to question is, you really believe God's good? Really? You think he's a good God and, and he's letting you go through this. If I'm going through this, how could he possibly be good? And James is saying to these young, spiritually immature Christians who are forgetful hearers of the word, he says, tie off to this when you're going through a storm. Anchor to this. Dig deep. God is always good. All the time, God is good, and he's always working for your good. Now, every good gift and every, what's the next word? Every perfect gift. There's this concept of perfecting your faith we see in chapter 1, verse 4. And I believe James is saying that all of God's gifts are good, and all of them are of a perfecting nature. In other words, the good gifts that God gives you in your life, they may be packaged in a way that you didn't expect, but it's there to perfect you, to complete you, to mature you, to make you more well-rounded in terms of your Christian life. In other words, sometimes God's gifts require waiting until the fulfillment of the ultimate good. And it's a perf if it's a perfect gift or a perfecting gift, it's referring to a gift that is yet to come to completion. Now, James is saying everything that's good is from God. It's in your life. God is doing in your life. It's always good. And so hold on to that. And then number two, not only is God good, and again, I know this is elementary, but I think it's really helpful for us to remember this and internalize this in the midst of the storms that God is light. God is light. I love the phrase in verse 17. It says, and cometh down from the Father of lights. That's awesome. Who perpetually likes to live in the dark? Anybody? Any hands? Okay. Some crazy person over here raised their hand. Most of us, we don't like to live in the dark all the time, right? When we're kids, the darkness scares us. We feel vulnerable. And part of that kind of never goes away. You know, when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, how many here like it when there's a storm outside and the power goes out? And it's dark, and you have no control over whether or not there's light. Anybody at all? Cool. All right. But when we have a storm, when we have a trial, what do we do? We naturally want light. It gives us a sense of confidence that we have some control, that we can see what's going on. Naturally, we want light. We want to see what we're dealing with. We want to see where we're headed. We want to see what we should do next, how we need to walk, where we need to step. And so James is saying this. He's saying, first of all, you have a good God. He's doing all things for your good. He's working for your good, no doubt about it. Secondly, you have a God who is light, and in your darkness, boom, he's there. And he provides the light that you need. He's going to illuminate your environment. He's going to bring the ability, the direction, the perspective, that you need. He's going to bring clarity. He's going to bring understanding. His light exposes the danger. It exposes the deception. His light brings direction and guidance, and his light provides stability and context. Just like when the lights go out in your home, and you turn on a flashlight, or you turn on a candle, and now you can suddenly have context as to where you need to go in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our trials, if we tie off to God suddenly there's context. Suddenly there's an element or a level of spiritual understanding of, oh, perhaps God is doing this. 
Perhaps God is perfecting me. Perhaps God is completing me. Perhaps God is having me grow in patience. Perhaps I need to ask him for wisdom because I'm lacking. And so God is good, church. God is light. And can I tell you this tonight? God's faithful. Number three, God is faithful. James says now, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. This is really, really cool, this phrase. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, this is not how we normally talk nowadays, right? Like, um, no variableness, no shadow of turning. What, what exactly is James, what is James saying here? Here in Oklahoma, one thing I've learned is that we get a lot of tornadoes. And a lot of times the meteorologists don't really know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like they'll tell you, oh, there's a tornado that just touched down in so-and-so. And then, you know, five minutes later, never mind, it touched down over here. And you all need to go find shelter. And it's just completely unpredictable. I can remember the first time that we were living in the duplex when we just came on staff. My sister came to visit. And we're from New York originally. We didn't have tornadoes up there. We just had lake effect snowstorms. Um, but so we had a tornado siren go off, and my sister Amy is freaking out. She's like, what is that sound? And so I Googled it. It's a tornado siren, Amy. You know? Like, that's how new and fresh we were. And she, like, lost her mind, and hopefully she doesn't listen to this, but she jumped in the bathtub and, and was just, like, hyperventilating. Like, she couldn't, and I'm like, it's fine, Amy, this happens all the time. Like, I just told her that, not really knowing that it happens all the time. But I was like, it's fine. They just do the siren thing to, like, I think they're testing, you know. So she gets on Google, and she's like, no, it's, like, right around the corner and this and that. And so we come to the church, because I called pastor. I'm like, what should we do? He's like, get to the church. So we did that. But let's be honest. Tornadoes, whenever we hear that word or it's near us, we get a little bit of anxiety. We get a little bit of worry, like, oh, man. And because it's pretty unpredictable as to where it's gonna go or what it's gonna do. And we can try to figure out how and where they're formed, why they're there, where they're taking us in terms of trials I'm talking about now. But God says, look, you can spend your time trying to figure out why they're there, where they're going, what the purpose is, but listen, just count on me. Just lean on me. Just, just find your trust in me. I'm unchanging. I'm a solid rock. Your storm is completely unpredictable. Yes, your circumstances are completely beyond your control. Yes, because I am the one in control. And I want you to depend on me. I want you to throw yourself in utter surrender and dependence on me. Your trials leave you vulnerable and in the grip of unpredictable circumstances. But our God is not. He's not. James is saying there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So it's, this is the picture that James is saying, all right? Let's pretend Brother Brian is a trial. Is he really a trial? No, he's not. He's a blessing, right? Let's say Brother Brian represents a trial. He represents a difficulty, a, a hardship, okay? This is what James meant by neither, uh, there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. This is what he says about our good God about our, our God who is light, our God who is faithful. That in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the hardship, God is not going to do this. Never once has he done what I just did when the trial is present in your life. He doesn't go, ooh, 
Hope he figures that out. Oh, she should be strong enough. She's been saved for like a couple decades now. No, no. You see, our God is good. Our God is light. He provides context. And our God is faithful. He's always there. They just sang about it tonight. The trio, were you listening? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never turns away from us. Listen, I, I know, I know from experience, there's times when it feels like God turns away. I've been there. I trust you have been there too. There's been times in your life where you're like, where's God? I don't feel him. I don't sense his presence. He's nowhere to be found. That's, nothing is further from the truth. Because scripture tells us that God never once turns away. He's very present in your storm. In your storm. Yes, you may experience pain, but there's presence. There's presence. And our God is faithful. He's saying when, you go through a, when you're going through a trial, Christians are going, where's God? I thought I got saved and, and, and I thought he was on top of taking care of me. He is. He always is. So he's faithful. He's not moved by emotion. Get this. When we think we are in the grip of unpredictable circumstances, the reality is we are not in the grip of unpredictable circumstances, but we are in the grip of a very reliable, very faithful God. And so in our trials, we ought not see ourselves in the middle of the storm overwhelmed, anxious, worried, afraid. It's okay to get there, but it's not okay to stay there. Because eventually we should get to the place where we recognize and hold on to the fact that we are in the palm of his hand and no man's able to pluck us out. So God is good. God is light. God is faithful. And lastly tonight, this might be my favorite point, God is mine. God's mine. Look at verse 18 with me. <clears throat> of his own will... <laughs> Of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word first fruits there, it's not that which grows forth first, but it's talking about value. So it's talking about that which is cherished, that which brings delight. So when a crop produces first fruits. It's not the first fruits that appear. It's the best fruits that appear. It's the most valuable. It's the ones that delight the farmer. It's the ones that he cherishes. And you and I are who God cherishes and delights in above everything and anything else that he created. Is that not mind-blowing? Like, let that sink in tonight. James is saying, you serve a God that's not only good, that's not only light to provide context to your storms. Not only is he faithful, you serve a God that loves you more than you can comprehend. He delights in you. He's chosen you. He cherishes you. He's chosen. You are his prized possession. You cost the life of his only begotten son. He valued you, he valued you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die one of the most, the most cruel death any man has ever seen or known. 
You are right there. You are the apple of his eye. You are the delight of his heart. He cherishes you. Well, you don't know what I've done. Can I tell you this tonight? He loves you in spite of that. Now, I understand we have a hard time reconciling that truth in our mind, but it's, it's true. Read, read the Bible. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how many things you've done that you would be embarrassed if they were put up on the screen tonight. The reality is God loves you more than anything in this world. He loves you. He cherishes you. You are his prized possession. And it would do you good and me good not to let that truth puff up our heads in pride, but to humble us and to say, God, who am I that you would love me that much and to believe it and to cling to that reality, to cling to that truth, to tie off onto that dock and say, man, God is mine. He's my father. He wants to be my friend. He's my savior. It says, of his own will begat he, you and me. That means he chose you. He bolsters you. He esteems you above everything that he created. Wow. Wow. That'll change my perspective in the middle of a storm. I love Zephaniah 3.17. After Habakkuk, before Haggai, Zephaniah chapter 3, he says, The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, and he is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, he will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. Have you ever pictured God singing over you? That's quite a picture there. I love when Katie sings to our kids. She's singing over them a lullaby or some song that we've heard in church. That's the picture. It's like God's holding you as his own child and he's singing over you and he's cherishing you and he's fawning over you and he loves you. He just wants to protect you. He just wants to take care of you. He's faithful to you. He's there to provide you with the things you need. God says you are my prized delight, my cherished creation. I love you, I've redeemed you, and I am completely yours. Wow. So, that really ends James's section on trials, which I think it's a really cool way to end it. Listen, church, I don't know what you're going through, but I think it'd be safe to assume that life hasn't been too fair to you. Maybe just today you faced some uncertain trial, some unexpected trial where you're like, wow, where did that come from? I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to lead my family. I'm trying to be a good person. You know, I'm trying to be honest and, and have integrity. And, and I'm, Lord, I'm just trying. And then boom, some difficulty gets thrown at you and you're going, well, why? We heard it last Sunday night. Why? God, where are you? And God, I, I, I love this. I told the teens this a couple Wednesday nights ago. The devil's over here shouting his accusations, shouting his lies. God doesn't love you. He's not for you. He's nowhere to be found. <laughs> you trust in that kind of a God who's going to leave you when things get... You trust in that kind of a God who's going to throw that difficulty... You don't deserve that. 
You've been faithful to him. You've been serving him. You've been giving of your time and your money and your energy. You've been trying and you're going to trust the, the devil screams his lies. He screams his accusations. Meanwhile, our good God is simply whispering, no, I am good. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I've never been more present than right now in this storm. I just want you to cling to me. Why does God whisper? You think about Elijah when he was going through his trial in 1 Kings chapter 17, and, and he's depressed and he's discouraged. He'd run away from God. He'd run away from his friends. Uh, he shut people out. Uh, he, he ran himself into the ground, and, and he's in a really dark place, and God was not in the earthquake. You remember this? God was not in the fire. God was not in the wind, but God was in what? Still small voice. Hmm. Why does God whisper? I'll tell you why, church. He whispers to bring us close. It's hard to hear a whisper when you're standing far away, just trying to read lips. But God's saying, come here. Come here. No, no, get, get real close. Get real close. Listen, I love you. I love you more than anything. You're my most prized and most cherished possession. You can trust me. I've been trustworthy. I've been faithful in your life. I've never failed you one time. I promise you, I'm not going to fail you this time. He's whispering. Meanwhile, the devil's shouting. He's lying away, man. He's a punk. And he wants to get you off course. He wants you to go off into the sea and just drift away from God and just say, oh yeah, I tried the church thing. I tried the Christianity thing. But that's just a bunch of hypocrites. That's where he wants you to get. And I'm telling you, church, you'll get there if you don't tie off to the anchor and to the truths that we're talking about tonight, that God is good. God is light. God is faithful. And God is mine. So a couple questions to close us out. Let me ask you, are you viewing your trials through a pessimistic negative lens or through an optimistic positive lens? How are you viewing the hard stuff that presents your life? In the midst of your storm, let me ask you this. In the midst of your storm, what are you hanging on to? Are you hanging on to your fear? Are you hanging on to your anxiety? Are you hanging on to your uncertainty, your instability? Or will you choose to hold on to the realities that God is good, and God is light, and God is faithful, and God is yours? Church tonight, you're either going through a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're headed for a trial. And when the storms come, will you choose to anchor your heart, your soul, your mind to these things? James is telling these young believers, it's what you need to do because the devil will get the best of you. Your flesh will get the best of you if you don't. Let's all stand.